Welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, the podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quilterverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Brandy of Quilter on Fire. Hey, Quilt Buzz. I love to meet you guys. I'm so happy to be here. It's so exciting to have the tables turn and be on somebody else's podcast. Now, before we jump into all our quilty fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Brandy? Sure. I am, what would I call myself? I am a quilt maker and textile artist. I travel the world as a teacher, speaker, and I'm an author of a children's picture book called Christie's Quilt. And I'm also a certified quilt judge, which is quite new for me. Um, my artwork... It really kind of explores meaningful themes in my life. Like, you know, I deal with my world through quilting. So um, like, for instance, on one of my art pieces, I wrote like a one-line poem, like my hands guided the fabric through the machine and my world softened. So I use quilting as kind of my saving grace. Um, I also teach on quilting cruises and I lead land tours to big quilt shows like England and Japan. And, and then there's my joy, which is the podcast. So the podcast is so fun. You already mentioned it's called Quilter on Fire and it's my way of giving back to my community but really, I've kind of just surrounded myself with the community. So I kind of feel like I'm the one who's getting all the benefit. It's been so amazing. My podcast has been the thing. And Brandy, I know our listeners can't see, but that is quite a big Canadian flag <laughs> behind you in your studio. Uh, can I guess that you're based I in am. Canada? I live in Summerland, BC, Canada, uh, in the interior of the West Coast. And I live with my husband, my mom, and my beautiful dog, Luna, and my son, who's 20. So that's my family. So you mentioned earlier that your podcast is called um, Quilt on Fire, and that's the same with your Instagram handle as well. So we're assuming that uh, the name has something to do with the fact that you used to be a yeah. firefighter? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a firefighter for 15 years in Winnipeg, and that's Manitoba, Canada, in the center of Canada. And, you know, it's a tough career being a firefighter, and it kind of, over the 15 years, it crushed my spirit. I really had a lot of trauma that I saw saw in the field on the fire trucks dealing with people in their worst situations and that was really hard on me and then also once I became a public educator there was a bit of toxicity in the workplace. I want to say here that 99% of the firefighters that I worked with were amazing and mentors and man can they cook. I learned so much about cooking but there were those toxic few that really graded on you day after day so it was a really tough career for me and I used quilting it literally saved my life. It, it, you know, it was my, just my calm, methodical movement to sort of relieve myself of my stress. So I moved from quilter to textile artist over the 30 years that I've been doing this fun stuff. And so Quilter on Fire was just a really good fit. And when did you start quilting? I started quilting probably when I was 20, 19, 20. My husband got me my very first Singer sewing machine right after high school. And uh, it's kind of just a really fun story because 
I had my first family Christmas with him. I was probably 19 years old and I was sitting on his mom's couch and he brings in this gigantic box. And I thought, what on earth did he give to his mother for Christmas? But it was for me and it was a Singer sewing machine. And I said, I remember saying out loud, this is the man I'm going to (laughs) marry because I loved crafting and sewing so much. And I had barely stitched a thing on a sewing machine yet at that point. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of my first little wow, I think I can actually do this. I've got a real sewing machine now. And did you immediately start quilting on that sewing machine? So I actually started quilting a little before I got that first sewing machine. I was trying out my mom's real old machine because I worked at a craft store, a huge craft store, and I was the sort of sample maker. And so in that craft store, I was allowed to sit in the coffee room or, you know, the spare room there. And I was just allowed to make crafts the entire time. That was my whole job. And it was so fun. And eventually you graduate to the cutting fabric area. You know, if you if you're really responsible, you can cut fabric, but it's a big deal. And um, a friend of mine came up to me and said, you're kind of crafty. You know, could you make me a quilt for my great grandmother's 80th birthday? And I was like, of course, (laughs) of course I can, not knowing anything about quilting. It took me forever to draw out and figure out and design that quilt. I had no idea what a quarter inch seam allowance is, no idea what a binding was. Her requests were, I want florals and I want lace and I want photos in the quilt. Like, you know, and so I was actually doing photo transfer and everything. And so this is the first quilt I show in my trunk show. And it turned out so great, but it was like, I literally delivered it at the last second to the birthday party. So once I saw the look on her face and she immediately hung it on the wall and she was just so thrilled with her granddaughter for ordering this quilt, I was absolutely hooked. I just thought this brings people joy. This brings me joy. It was so fun. I was hooked on quilting at that moment. I'm amazed that you didn't even follow a pattern at all. She really did throw you in the deep end for that one. <laughs> I really did. It was so hard because if you don't know like what a quarter inch seam allowance is, everything's wonky, right? And you, you're sort of drawing things pencil to paper. And I pulled the backing around to try to make a binding. I really had no idea what I was doing. And it's barely quilted, like just sort of a little bit of stitch in the ditch just to hold it together. So, but it turned out pretty good. <laughs> So you mentioned that Quilter on Fire began, you know, as a way to kind of decompress and unwind after your uh, stressful day job. And and we're quoting you here from your website uh, that it has since become an integral part of your life. Can you tell us about this journey and, you know, more what inspired you to start the podcast? Yeah, for sure. So I was finding myself coming home from work and diving into my studio. And, uh, you know, 15 years in the fire service really kind of, I said earlier, it crushed my spirit. I was, I had lost lots of weight. I was feeling ill. I was stressed out. I wasn't doing well at all. And we, we ended up deciding to move across Canada and follow our travel outdoor adventure spirit and live in an area that we could be outside all year round and in the mountains. And so quilting all the way along through that literally saved me. But I just want to tell you this one little story about the last year that I was at my job. I came home one day and I was so stressed out. Something really serious had happened at work and I was really upset about it. And I came home and my husband saw my face and he immediately said, oh, I'll go cook dinner. <laughs> and I was, he just goes off to cook dinner. I go down to my studio and I'm stitching away. And at that time I was doing craft sales and shows. I wasn't doing a ton of quilting, but I was doing like oven mitts and eye, these beautiful things you put on your eyes when you sleep and all kinds of little things, right? And 
I'm sewing away and my son comes into the room at, you know, seven years old. And he says, mommy, I want to play clay. And without even really considering him or thinking about it, I kind of brushed him off. And I said something along the lines of, if I could just get these done and have a really great sale this weekend, I could quit my job. (laughs) You know, I said something like that. And as a little kid, he just shrugged it off and walked away and I kept stitching. And then, you know, I remember him coming back a little while later. I was still stitching away and he came into the room with a whole bunch of little pieces of paper in his hand and he had made me play money himself so that I could quit my job. And it hit me so hard. I was instantly bawling and he was crying. He's like, why are you crying? I'm like, it's a happy cry. And I realized that there's nothing in my life more important than my little child and my husband and my family. And I had walked into my home and I hadn't even found him and greeted him and swung him around and hugged him. I literally didn't even go near him when I came home. I went straight to relieve myself of that pressure from work. And I realized in that moment, this is not the place for me. I need to make some kind of change in my life that's going to be better for my family and better for me. If I, you know, if I fill my cup with so much stress and it's overflowing with stress, there's no room for me and there's no room for my family. So I needed to fill my cup first with self-care and then all the overflowing stuff could go to my family and forget the job. Let's do something else, right? That's such a touching story. I like, it only brought, nearly brought me to tears. <laughs> So through that, um, you know, that story and that journey. So how did you um, start your podcast? Well, my podcast was really something to grow connections to a community. I felt throughout my quilting journey at the beginning, I didn't really fit in anywhere. You know, I was doing all these weird things. I was, I was just sort of automatically a textile artist. I really gravitated to the artsy side of things. And I was putting all these weird colors together and I wasn't measuring anything and I was slashing and slicing and I was kind of a crazy artsy fartsy quilter, right? And so I always felt like I was different. And even though I had such amazing friends, I just didn't really fit into the traditional quilting scene. And, you know, when I was excelling, Sometimes there were people online in different areas who kind of tried to bring me down and and saying negative things and you can't use those colors together. And, you know, the negative Nellies out there, I was really letting them get to me. And I always felt like I was too much or not enough. And I didn't want anyone else to go through sitting alone at their machine, feeling like they were alone quilting. I wanted them to have something in their ear that they could listen to that would bring them community and joy and happiness and more joy and less overwhelm. So I started my podcast actually way back in 2013. I did it for two years back then and I did over a hundred episodes back then. And um, I stopped for many years because I ended up doing another fire job in BC. But I recently, over the pandemic, I realized, what am I really missing right now? Like, what do I really, really miss? Going back into a fire service career here in BC brought back all those memories. And it really actually made me realize that I needed to go for counseling for all the things I'd see. And five years ago, I was diagnosed with PTSD, and which was the greatest blessing 
ever because now I know I'm not crazy. I'm dealing with stuff and that's hard to deal with and it's okay and I'm fine. And um, it's so wonderful to really know what's going on and be able to know that I used quilting for decades without even really knowing I needed to do that. Um, so I started telling stories in 2013. I, I did it for a couple of years. I took a long time off when I was doing the fire career again. And over the pandemic, I realized I need to do my podcast again because not only am I creating content for my community, I'm surrounding myself with people who love me and lift me up. And it's just such an amazing place to be. So the podcast really works for me and my business. Between those, when you first started and this, the second iteration of Quilter on Fire, did you find yourself approaching it differently or did anything change between the two? Yeah, when I first did my podcast in 2013, it was the Canadian podcast, it was the Canadian Quilters podcast. And it was kind of like really Canadiana. I only did Canadian interviews. Every second one was just me chatting about a topic. And I was kind of back then trying to establish myself as an expert and really cover a lot of great topics. Now on the Quilter on Fire podcast, I have found that there are just hundreds of people on my dream wish list that I want to interview. I literally never do podcasts it's just be hardly ever because there's so many wonderful people out there and they share their stories. And instead of me doing all this research on needles and trying to give great content, I will bring in someone who's an expert and they will share their knowledge. And it's just so great. So not only have I been able to make these connections and grow my audience and just surround myself with this amazing community, I've met all of these incredible influencers and they're lifting me up as well. I, I'm, learn, I'm learning so much and I just, you know, I can't believe how many stories there are out there that just need to be told. And it's just so much fun for me. I just love it. And so could you tell us a little bit more about what goes behind like producing an episode of your podcast? And is it just you that's operating it? Little old me. That's all there is. Just me. Yeah, I am. I'm constantly on the lookout for amazing people. And, and you know, I have to tell you, there are famous people. There are not so famous people. And every single one has such a different story. And they're all so wonderful. But um, I'm con I've got this huge spreadsheet. And I feel sometimes I'll meet someone at QuiltCon and I'll be like, I want to have you on the podcast. And then a year goes by. And I'm at QuiltCon again. I'm like, I still haven't had you on the podcast because there are so many people I want to interview. But um, yeah, it, I really do love just accumulating this list and trying to pick people whenever I can fit them in. And I do tons of research. Like I think my joy is um, doing the research and well, I guess interviewing is a lot of fun, but it's just, you know, you do the research, you do the interview, you really just have to make sure you're asking them questions that are unique, you know, and then the editing is the hardest part that I like the least. I would love one day to hire someone out to do the editing, editing part, but um, yeah, that's the hardest part. I find myself having about a dozen or so interviews done in advance. So I have lots to choose from and I can move them around a little bit here and there and, you know, into the different dates and I'm able to to do one a week. You know, it takes me about six hours a week to do my podcast. You've mentioned one big theme throughout the, um, it's joy. And so we also know that, you know, your motto is more joy, less overwhelm. Can you tell us kind of the story behind this and how you live and work by it both on the podcast and beyond? Yeah, you know, I almost feel a little bit selfish in doing these interviews because I get so much joy out of it and it reduces my overwhelm because if I'm struggling with something, I bring on a guest that can teach me something, you know. Um, 
I just feel like when I'm in someone's ear, they deserve to have content that is going to lift them up and make them smile, make them laugh, make them cry sometimes. But you know what? It's just really going to enlighten them and make them feel really good about themselves. And I've always had sort of taglines in my business for, I've had this business going for 15 years and been having a lot of fun with it. But I've always had, you know, taglines like your only limits are the ones you choose or those kind of things. Right. And so more joy, less overwhelm is just a simplified version of that, of, you you know, you don't have to put a wall up around yourself. And if you do have a wall around yourself, it's good to acknowledge that and figure out what walls you do have and then tear them down and just have some fun. So that's kind of my goal with the podcast, just to open up doors for people and give them new ideas. I love that so much. Like it just even just talking to you right now, like it's just uplifting me so much. <laughs> oh, sweet. Oh. That is so sweet. So um, you actually, we were scrolling through your Instagram and you mentioned recently that you achieved your National Association of Certified Court Judging certification. Yeah. Mouthful right here. <laughs> so what made you pursue that? <laughs> Well, for me, it was all about learning. I said a little earlier that I always felt like I was so artsy and, you know, I, if, you know, if anyone's listening right now and they're feeling like they don't have all the skills they need, or they've been quilting even 10 or 20 years and they still haven't taken a beginner, you know, precision cutting, precision piecing class, I recommend you do that because it just opened up my eyes. I took this one course by Wanda Steiner. She's a quilt judge in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And I took this class to just get better so that I can improve my textile art actually. But I took a sampler beginner quilt and I was like, what pinning? Like I had no idea that people even like, what, what really? And so I learned all these new skills and it just helped me blossom as a textile artist. But then it really got me interested in judging because she was a judge. And as a firefighter, whenever I struggled with something, I was so lucky in my early years, the first five years on the job, because I had a captain that was so amazing. He allowed me to always choose drill every day because I was the rookie. So as the rookie, you're kind of the lowest of the low on the totem pole with skills and anything I could learn to lift that base level up was great. So he let me choose drill. And so I was on this constant learning journey and I took that over into quilting. Anytime I felt like I didn't know something, I would dive into learning. I thought quilt judging would be that for me. And it was was. It absolutely was. When I started on this quilt judging journey in 2013, I just dove into trying to learn different things and I just thought it would really help me grow. And I, I think I find overall, if you look at the big quilt judging picture, what I got out of it was first I was mentored by all these amazing people. Then I realized there's so many things to learn. So I dove in and I learned if I didn't know how to do a cathedral window, I learned how to do one and I made one. And then so I went from being mentored to learning, like taking massive action and trying to learn everything I could to now I feel like I'm in a position where I can start mentoring other people. So it was a really nice journey for me. And the judging part of it just was a higher level of education for me. What was one skill that you had to learn that you didn't expect to love, but turned out loving? in the end. Wow. What was one skill? 
You know, I think pinning, <laughs> that so, so, sounds so silly and small, but I did not pin a thing. And Wanda Steiner taught me to pin and properly and a few different ways. And I remember many years later, I was invited back to Manitoba to teach a course. And suddenly someone couldn't take the course. My friend Marion couldn't take the course. She had to stay home and nurse a tiny puppy. So Wanda took her place and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm teaching my mentor in my class. And so in the class I was teaching, it was a simple table runner, but we were doing screen printing on it. I always take them to the artsy side. And so we're screen printing on fabric, making this table runner. And I'm talking about pinning. And I said, you know, I was never a pinner and I learned to pin early on in this great course by yours truly. And everything. and then I said, so if you're thinking right now, eh, I'm not much of a pinner, I said, just throw that notion aside and pin anyway. And Wanda stood up and said, that's my girl. <laughs> so it really was a lovely. So pinning, I think is so important because it's such little effort to put a few pins in and it saves you all that effort of seam ripping and trying to do it all over again if you make a mistake. So pinning is the thing. Could you describe the process of getting your certification? What different classes, different, you know, techniques that you had to either did you have, how did you have to show proficiency? You know, what were the different steps involved in becoming a quilt judge? So the NACQJ program is a judging program in the USA that you have to qualify for in the first place to get in. So you have to have a certain level of expertise in the first place uh, when it comes to history of quilting, color theory, composition, styles, techniques, elements of principles of design. And you have to really understand a wide range of quilts from traditional to art quilting and modern quilting, you know. And so this is like a three to five year program. Um, I remember the very first quilt show I judged back in 2013. There was, it was the first one, the show where I saw modern quilting and I thought, oh my goodness, like I don't know anything about modern quilting. I had to dive in and try to do as much research as possible. I was on my early podcast, I was interviewing like the president of the modern guild and things like that to try to figure out what is this all about. And so you really have to understand as a judge that every quilt in the judging room deserves the same equal respect and careful study, you know, um, the first part of the program is a detailed research paper with 31 questions. And question 31 has another 30 questions in it. So it's like about 65 pages of paperwork. And you submit it for review after I took two years to do my paperwork. And then I submitted it for review. And it was reviewed by three certified judges. And sometimes you pass, sometimes you fail. Like they give you a chance to do it again if you don't pass, but you do corrections. I passed the first time, so I was thrilled, but I had loads of corrections to do. So I'm not saying I'm some superstar. I passed, um, but it took me three months to do all my corrections. So I had so much more to learn. And that's the thing about this program. You're surrounded by mentors and amazing certified judges who are there to lift you up and help you. And they're not going to give you any answers. You got to research it all, but you know, it's a really great program. And then after you do pass your paperwork, then what they encourage you to do throughout the whole program is shadow judges and get judging experiences and follow judges. And, um, you know, you want to be in a variety of judge shows to gain experience. And then finally, the candidate for judging will sit in a panel and it's like a review and it's, there's uh, three or four judges reviewing you. So you, they sort of grill you with questions of what you got wrong in your paperwork to make sure you understand it and you've done it right. And then you do sort of a mock judging. So it is a pretty in-depth program, but I have to say, you know, it was just, it was really a joy to take that program because I met so many new friends 
friends. And now I'm surrounded by just this big pool of mentors. And it was really, I loved that whole experience. It was wonderful. That sounds like a very intensive program. Um, so like in order for you to keep your certification, like do you need to um, continuously go to um, different quote shows and be a judge there? Yeah, there's a few different, there's some judges who've been there for a long time and don't judge anymore and things like that. We're all part of a sort of collective community. We do um, submit um, a yearly report to them and let them know what we're doing. But the most important part, I think, like you don't have to judge a dozen shows every year. You want to try to keep your, your hand in the game and judge something. But the most important thing that we share every year is we share what our educational opportunities were and what we learned that was new. And we share that kind of information. So it's a really close organization where we have lots of meetings and we talk to each other and we have a good Facebook page and things like that just for us and we try to lift each other up. So it's it's really important to grow as the quilting community changes over time. And the National Association of Certified Quilt Judging is an American program. So why choose the American program over the Canadian program, which is the Canadian Quilters Association? Yeah, I did take the Canadian program for two years, way back in 2013 to 2015, but I found it to be pretty low key. It was sort of like a self-study and I was looking for much more. So from my firefighting days, it was kind of a habit for me. Like I said earlier, when I felt like not enough, I would get educated. And so if I had imposter syndrome about moving from textile art and art quilting to modern quilting, for instance, I thought I need a program that's really going to teach me all those skills. So when I discovered the NACQJ program in 2018, I was thrilled. I was going to fill my toolbox with more skills. I had no idea you know, what certain types of blocks were and things like that, because uh, I just was not a traditional quilter at all. So I learned so much. And for me, the U.S. program had the research paper, the mentors, the educational opportunities, the shadowing. It was all built right into the program. And I can also teach in the U.S. because I have a working visa. So the U.S. judging program has opened dozens of new opportunities for me. And, you know, the U.S. is 10 times the size of Canada. So to be able to um, judge down there is just a wonderful thing. So while judging, have you noticed any new trends within quilting uh, that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, specifically thinking about the modern world, the modern, I've been to the last two quilt cons in a row. And um, I was surprised, the first quilt con I ever went to was last year. And I was surprised to see some of these amazing portrait quilts. And they are very modern. So that's a newer thing. Like people like Veruska Zarati and Scott Coley, they're doing these incredible things. So that is one thing that is really, um, you know, becoming more prominent in the modern quilt world. But the one thing that I think is really making a difference for people, like the people who are getting on the podium, who are winning things, is when they are using a quilt to share their story and give a message and that kind of thing. Those kind of quilts are really meaningful to the viewer. They have great descriptions about them, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that is a trend that is going to just keep on going. So in addition to podcasting, teaching, judging, and quilting, you also participate in quilt destination travel. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about that? 
I love quilt destination travel. I love traveling the world. And if I could join quilting with that, oh my gosh, it is so fun. I took a tour to England and Wales last summer and it was so much fun. When it was over, I was handing out the, you know, can you review me as a tour leader? And I was like, please give me good reviews. I want to do this again. I was so excited about it. And I didn't see any of those reviews. They were sealed up and sent off in an envelope, but it turned out they were all good and I'm doing it again this year. So I love to take people and help them explore. And then, you know, we do a tour of England and Wales and we see all the quilt shops and all the, you know, quilterly type things throughout the countryside. And then we end with two days at a quilt festival. So I can walk them through the show from the perspective of a judge or they can go out on their own and just enjoy, you know, it's a lot of fun. So this year I'm really excited to be doing England and Wales again. We leave, I think we start July 25th, which happens to be my birthday. And then also another thing that I do is quilt cruises. So, and that is so fun because you are quilting your days away at sea. You meet so many amazing people. I did a quilt with 50 quilters on it way back in 2015. And I still have some of those friends to this day. It's just so much fun. You meet all these incredible people. And even if you're a lone traveler, like you don't have someone to room with, they'll sometimes hook you up with the roommate and you end up meeting so many friends. Like you just can't go wrong. And it's all planned for you and you're safe as a lone quilter. So that's a really good way to travel if you're a single person. So it sounds like you've got a pretty full plate, but are there any other uh, fun projects on the horizon that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I have, you know, I, ha- I I just created my first banner for myself because I had this really fun podcast booth at QuiltCon. It was so much fun. So, you know, if you think about in a nutshell what Quilter on Fire is, I've got workshops, I've got the podcast, and I've got the travel. So one thing we haven't really mentioned is the workshops. And so I just in January 3rd, I launched my first boot camp, which was so much fun. It's only $37. I'm going to do it every month. And really, it is just a tiny little art piece. It's called Square One Boot Camp. You make one little art square of a you know piece of art to go in a tiny little quilt to hang on the wall and it is so much fun so I just launched that it's been going really well and then I'm also launching a bigger signature course so that course is the confident and creative textile artist and that one is three weeks of content it's about 20 two hours of content and we make a beautiful tote bag that's just covered in art front and back. So it's just gorgeous. So that's kind of the newest thing I've been working on and I've been having a lot of fun meeting some incredible people. And when you say there's a small art piece included in the, um, for the, the boot camp, was it? Yeah. Can you tell us more details about that? Yeah, for sure. So in Square One Boot Camp, what I get you to do is make a five inch art piece, but you make six to eight of them. So you make a whole bunch of different things, depending what you have in your studio, you can have intense pencils or just acrylic paints, or maybe you just want to do some improv because you've never tried that before. You literally can do anything you want. I give you a dozen ideas to choose from, and I do all kinds of samples and show you how to do them. Once you have your art piece, we build that in to the little art quilt that is just a quilt as you go. So we're kind of framing it with a little quilt and you can hang it on the wall at the end of the week. That sounds so cute. I'm sure you would have got so many different um, outcomes from from that and sure a lot of stories as well. Yeah. If you go to the Culture on Fire Pinterest page, you'll find square one and you'll be able to see all kinds of examples of what the students have made. Oh, awesome. Cool. Okay, we're definitely adding that into the show notes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Brandy? I think I'm ready. Okay, Wendy, why don't you kick us off? 
So what's your favorite time of day to quilt? Early morning, 5 a.m. And where do you sew? I sew in my beautiful studio in my basement. It's about the size of two little bedrooms. I've got two closets. Uh, It's a basement suite, but I've got lots of good light with one big window. So do you wear shoes while sewing? No, I don't wear shoes. I do wear socks and I often step on pins. (laughs) Music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence while sewing? I am addicted to Audible. So I listen to books. I love books. And yeah, I'm just, I I think I listen to probably five or six books a month. And what's your current favorite? Right now, my favorite is Marie Forleo. And she is sort of a biz type person. She has B school and everything. And her book is called Everything is Figureoutable. Now we know you're a big tea drinker. So what is your favorite type of tea to drink while quilting? I love Cornelia Bean in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And my favorite tea from them is peach apricot. It's a black tea. And I order about $100 of tea every three months. I love them so much. Uh, Which quilt shows are on your wish list to judge? Oh, my dream wish list to judge would first be QuiltCon and then Festival of Quilts Birmingham. That's a really cool show because it's not juried. And then the third one would probably be Houston and maybe Paducah too. And what's your favorite part of the quilting process? My favorite part of the quilting process, I would have to say that initial spark of an idea. I absolutely love taking an idea, throwing it into my sketchbook. I I always have all these ideas in the back of my sketchbook. I use the other side of my sketchbook to take an idea and then brainstorm it out. So I love that initial creative process. And what's your least favorite part of the quilting process? Oh, I think my least favorite part, I just realized last year at QuiltCon, I got a quilt into the show and it sold. My <gasps> least favorite part is never seeing it again. It's gone. I'll never, yeah. I'll never be able to show that quilt in my trunk show. Yeah. And I learned that lesson very early on when I sold a little damselfly that I made as an art piece. And the minute it sold, I was just like, oh what am I going to do without this piece? You know, so that's the hardest part for me. And what's one bad quilting habit you wish you could give up? We're coming back to pins again. (laughs) So I think a bad quilting habit since I started pinning is I stick the pins in my mouth and that is just not, you're not supposed to do that. You could inhale it. It's just a bad idea. Um, But yeah, mostly when I'm trying to pin something up on my design wall, I end up sticking a few pins in my mouth and yeah, I don't recommend that. And who's your quilty BFF? My quilty BFF, I have to say Manon. Manon, I love you, gal. Um, she is so sweet. She, I met her a couple of years ago on Clubhouse, the Audible app. We, we met in the quilty area of Clubhouse, and uh, we just decided we were going to meet up and be accountability friends. And we have been meeting every Monday for years now, and we lift each other up in our businesses, and we collaborate on quilts, and I just love her. So her name's Manon Hunt, and she has Mom and Me Quilting in... In Ontario, Canada. And who is your quilty crush? My quilty crush? Well, I don't know if I can really call this a crush because I have a husband, he has a husband, but lately I have been really loving the work of Scott Cully. Like I saw him for the first time at QuiltCon last year. His mask quilts were amazing. And then this year he was there again, all the way from Berlin. And um, he had a RuPaul quilt in there. I would really love to have him on the podcast. I've already asked him to be on the podcast, but I would love to go to Berlin and see his studio and see how his world is coming together. 
together. That would be so cool. And how many quilts are in your work in progress pile now? Oh, at least 25. <laughs> I just, I keep <laughs> brainstorming. That's my favorite part, right? To create the ideas and I, I keep getting them started. And then, yeah, I could even just dive in there and just say, hmm, which one am I going to finish today? I have so many. It's ridiculous. And do you have any other interests or hobbies? Do I have any other interests? Yeah. Outdoor adventure would be my other thing because we have a new puppy. She's only a year old. So we take her for an hour. Yeah, she's awesome. She's a chocolate lab. Her name is Luna. She's my baby Lou. And uh, we take her for an hour every day just so she can handle the world. And she's not going crazy. She's calm, relaxed (laughs) after exercise. She's so good. But yeah, my other interests would be get outside and get active and enjoy the world. Who are the three accounts you think everyone should be following and why? I don't have, like, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because I don't allow myself to surf on social media. But I have to say there are a few incredible people that are just doing wonderful things out there. So one I would say is uh, Quilts for Survivors. That is an organization in Canada that makes quilts for First Nations survivors of residential schools. That is incredible. And the thing I love to follow her is her lives. So she does a live when the new quilts come in and she, you know, puts those out there. Um, I have to say I really enjoy the Tula Tuesdays, even though I'm an art quilter and I generally don't use printed fabric of any kind. I love her. I love what she's doing with her business and she does her Tula Tuesdays and she really caters to her audience and she, she prepares herself, sells herself really well because, you know, people love that fabric and she's doing so fine. And another one is Krista Hennebury of Poppy Print Quilting on Instagram because she does these incredible pieces. She's always creating. She she loves to talk about cutting mats that are more sustainable. She uses the most amazing threads and linens, and she, she just has a really cool, clean aesthetic. So I love following everything she's doing. Cool. So on that note, we need to wrap today up, and we hope that you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can most easily be found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio, Wendy. I'm at the.weekendquilter. And Brandy. And I'm at Quilter on Fire everywhere online. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website, quiltbuzzpodcast.com for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.